0: Are listening to the Classic Sermons podcast from PreachTheBible.org, a ministry of North Valley Baptist Church in Santa Clara, California. You will hear fervent, old fashioned revival sermons from great preachers of the past. It is our desire that you will be helped by this gospel message. All right, open your Bible tonight to the book of Acts, chapter 16, and I want to share with you tonight several verses. Rather we'll lengthy reading, beginning with verse 6. But you know, I think sometimes we should have just reading of the Word of God in a service. Paul said to Timothy, give much attendance to reading, and that did not have to do with private reading, but public reading. Just go to the church service, open the Bible, and read. In the Old Testament, one day they stood a half day and had a man read out of the law. So I think we probably ought to do more reading, I'd like to have a Bible reading Time when we'd all meet here and just read two or three hours until we uh, completed the entire Bible, taking turns about reading. I think it'd be very profitable for us. Acts 16, verse 6. By the way, I appreciate the spokesman coming tonight. I'm sorry they could not all be out here. I spoke at Florida Bible College last year for three days. I've never been received more warmly anywhere that i've ever gone in my life i couldn't believe the warmth the enthusiasm and the reception that i received there is almost unbelievable the children were so nice i've been invited to go back this year in october and conduct a pastor school there there were over a thousand students i understand last year and probably this year more than that they occupy the old uh, hollywood beach hotel big white hotel and the towers building which is next to it must be it seems to me now 11 12 stories high they're right on the ocean and a beautiful place and uh, i just enjoyed being there and i'm glad these men could be here tonight and i hope you young people stay after the service and fellowship with them act 16 verse 6 now when they were gone throughout uh, phrygia under the region of galatia and were forbidden of the holy ghost to preach the word in Asia. After they were come to Mysia, they assayed to go to Bithynia, but the Spirit suffered them not. And they passing by Mysia came unto Troas, and a vision appeared to Paul in the night. There stood a man of Macedonia and prayed him, saying, Come over to Macedonia and help us. And after he had seen the vision, immediately we endeavored to go into Macedonia, assuredly gathering that the Lord had called us for the preach the gospel unto them. Therefore, loosing from Troas, we came with a straight course to Samothracia, and the next day to Neapolis, and from thence to Philippi, which is the chief city of that part of Macedonia, and a colony. And we were in that city abiding certain days. And on the Sabbath, we went out of the city by a riverside, where prayer was wont to be made. And we sat down and spake unto the women which resorted thither. And a certain woman named Lydia, a seller of purple, of the city of Thyatira, which worshiped God, heard us, whose heart the Lord opened. And she attended unto the things which were spoken of Paul. And when she was baptized in her household, she besought us, saying, If you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come into my house and abide there. And she constrained us. And it came to pass, as we went to prayer, a certain damsel, possessed with the spirit of divination met us which brought her masters much gain by soothsaying the same followed paul and us and cried saying these men are the servants of the most high god which show unto us the way of salvation and this did she many days but paul being grieved turned and said to the spirit i command thee in the name of jesus christ to come out of her and he came out the same hour and when our masters saw that their hope of gain was gone, they caught Paul and Silas and threw them into the marketplace. Or drew them into the marketplace under the rulers and brought them to the magistrate, saying, "These men, being Jews, do exceedingly trouble our city and teach customs which are not lawful for us to receive, neither to observe, being Romans." And the multitude rose up together against them. And the magistrates rent off their clothes and commanded to beat them. When they had laid many stripes upon them, they cast them into prison, charging the jailer to keep them safely, who, having received such a charge, thrust them into the inner prison and made their feet fast in the stocks. And at midnight Paul and Silas prayed and sang praises unto God. And the prisoners heard them. And suddenly there was a great earthquake so that the foundations of the prison were shaken and immediately all the doors were opened and everyone's bands were loosed. And the keeper of the prison awaking out of his sleep and seeing the prison doors open, he drew out his sword and would have killed himself supposing that the prisoners had been fled. But Paul cried with a loud voice saying, Do thyself no harm for we are all here. Then he called for a light, and sprang in, and came trembling, and fell down before Paul and Silas, and brought them out, and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? And they said, Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and thou shalt be saved in thy house. And they spake unto him the words of the Lord, and to all that were in his house. And he took them the same hour of the night, and washed their stripes, and was baptized, he and all his, straightway. And when he had, uh, by the way, that must have been late at night. It was midnight when they began to sing praises. According to verse 25, an earthquake took place. The prison doors were open. And he supposed the prisoners had fled. And he asked about salvation. They told him how to be saved. Paul and Silas led he and his entire family to Christ or all that were in his house. It must have been one o'clock in the morning by now, and it must have been a strange sight seeing a bunch of folks going down towards the river saying, Shall we gather at the river one o'clock in the morning? But at any rate, they baptized them about one o'clock in the morning. And when he had brought them into the house, he set meat before them and rejoiced, believing in God with all his house. When it was day, the magistrate sent the sergeant, saying, Let those men go. And the keeper of the prison told this saying to Paul, The magistrates have sent to let you go, now therefore depart and go in peace. Paul said unto them, They have beaten us openly, uncondemned, being Romans, and have cast us into prison, and now do they thrust us out privily? Nay, verily, but let them come themselves and fetch us out. And the surgeons told these words unto the magistrates, and they feared when they heard that they were Romans. They came and besought them and brought them out and desired them to, part out, to depart out of the city. And they went out of the prison and entered into the house of Lydia. And when they had seen the brethren, they comforted them and departed. Now let's bow our heads forward a prayer. Now, Heavenly Father, in these next few minutes together, I pray the Holy Spirit would have complete control of this preacher and complete control of this congregation. May I say something tonight that will challenge the hearts of those who are standing idly by and need to be serving. Somehow, I pray tonight that in this message, you'll show us that God has made all the provisions necessary to get the job done. But it's a matter of us being obedient. Speak to hearts. Awake us tonight from our sleep. And help us to go out as never before to take this city for Christ. Now I'll thank you for it, because I ask it in Jesus' name, amen. This morning, I began a series of lessons in Sunday school on the book of Philippians. The next few Sunday mornings, we'll be studying the book of Philippians. And as I was making preparations to teach the book of Philippians, I was led to study Acts chapter 16, because in Acts chapter 16, you have what I'd call the birth of the church at Philippi. With that in mind, I want to speak tonight on the birth of a great church. I use the expression great church because I think in some measure the church at Philippi was one of the greatest churches that Paul ever wrote to. I said for this reason, when you study the book of Philippians, you'll not find in that book Paul correcting them on any doctrine whatsoever. It's unique in that respect. The book of Philippians deals with Christian experience contrasted with uh, circumstances. In the book of Philippians, Paul is talking about rejoicing. He just deals with Christian experience. In most of his epistles, he's correcting the churches, calling their attention to something that's wrong. But it, it is assumed that the church at Philippi was sound in doctrine and in that sense was a good church. The book of uh Acts chapter 16 records the birth of this church. May I say in passing that great churches don't just happen. Great churches don't just happen. There's something behind the building of a great church. Always. When you look at that 16th chapter of the book of Acts, you'll learn that the church of Philippi was the first church founded in Europe. You'll also learn that Lydia was the first convert in Europe. The birth of this church was marked by some miraculous conversions. For instance, you have the conversion of Lydia recorded here. Lydia being a successful businesswoman, a seller of purple. You also have recorded here the conversion of of a demon-possessed girl who brought her masters much gain. You read a little longer in this chapter, a little further down, and you'll find here recorded the conversion of the Philippian jailer. These were the kind of people that constituted the church at Philippi, a great church. Now, what marked the birth of this great church? There are three things that stand out tonight in the passage that I've read to you that I'd like to try to develop in the next few minutes. First of all, the birth of the church of Philippi was marked by the obedience of a servant. Speaking of the Apostle Paul, Paul's obedience was twofold in character. First of all, God closed the door in Paul's face. You go back to verse 7. Now when they had gone throughout Phrygia and the regions of Galatia and were forbidden of the Holy Ghost to preach the word in Asia, the Holy Spirit closed the door in Paul's face and forbid him to preach in Asia. Someone said the steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord. But I'd like to add a little bit to that. The stops of a good man are also ordered by the Lord. Sometimes God closes doors in our faces. And this was the case of the Apostle Paul. When God said to Paul, I don't want you to do a certain thing. Then Paul was obedient in that respect. But when God closed one door in the Apostle's face, God opened another door. A vision. And one appeared unto Paul in the night and said, Come over to Macedonia and help us. Verse 9. God closed the door and then God opened the door. Obedience is, is so important. I could not overemphasize tonight the importance of obedience. The book of Samuel, the Bible said, It's better to obey than to sacrifice. Someone once asked William Booth, Mr. Booth, what is the secret of your great joy? And William Booth replied, I never say no to God. I was thinking as I read this particular passage of Scripture, if every Christian on the face of the earth would always be 100% obedient, every need of the world would be met. I cannot conceive of a God who loves sinners so much That he died on a cross for sinners, that he suffered what he suffered on Calvary for sinners, and then would not make provisions for those sinners to hear the blessed story of how Jesus died for them. I believe tonight if every Christian on the earth was absolutely obedient, 100%, that the gospel would go into all the world in a matter of weeks. The truth of the matter is we're just not obedient Christians. We often pray prayers similar to this. Dear God, supply the needs of our church financially. I think, and I'm honest about this, I think God has already supplied the needs of our church financially. I think the money necessary to operate this church is in the bank accounts of the members in this church. I think God has already supplied the needs. The matter is obedience. The question is, are you always 100% obedient whenever God leads you to do a thing? Do you always obey 100% in the matter of soul winning? In the matter of giving? Every impression you ever had, do you always follow through with it? Are there times whenever you hold back? I'm just saying that you cannot have a great church like the church at Philippi unless there's obedience on the part of the servant. Unless somebody says, yes, I cannot conceive of God sending in here a thousand children on buses Sunday after Sunday. Week after week, 52 weeks a year, last year over 51,000 boys and girls rode the buses to this church. I cannot conceive of God allowing that to happen and not speaking to the hearts of people to teach in children's churches, to work in the nursery, to drive the buses on Saturdays the Sundays. And do bus visitation on Saturdays. I cannot conceive of God allowing something like this to happen without having first spoken to the hearts of people about serving Him in some particular area in the church. I'm just saying that the needs would have already been met. And you'd never have to come to the platform and plead for workers if every Christian was always 100% obedient whenever God spoke to his heart. You'd never have to say, We need some more money. Uh, we have bills we cannot pay. That would never have to be said if every Christian was 100% obedient when God spoke to his heart. I know you've had those times. I remember visiting a widow lady once. I had a $5 bill in my pocket. And I had a strong impression to give the lady something before I left. And uh, as uh, we humans do, I tried to get change for that $5 bill three times before I got to her house. And I couldn't get change for it. And when I got to her house, all I had was a five dollar bill, and I had about three days to go. That's when I was working in the post office. And I had about three days to go and I had five dollars lunch money. And I, I thought, you know, I gotta save at least half of this to buy a hamburger or something. I've gotta eat something each day. But I couldn't get change for it. I tried in vain to get change, and finally, when I couldn't get change, I went ahead and made the visit, started to leave, and I must have started out of my pocket with that five dollar bill ten times. I'd put it back in my pocket, I'd start out with it, I'd put it back in my pocket. And I'd start out with it and I'd put it back in my pocket. And I'd reason, you've got to have part of it. Ask her if she's got any change. (laughs) And in and out of my pocket, that $5 bill went in and out, in and out, in and out. And finally, I just said, all right, all right, I'll give her the $5 if I starve to death. But I didn't starve to death. Did you hear about the man who, sure you did, I told you about him. But I want to hear it again, so I'm going to tell it. (laughs) The family's house burned down. They had uh, all their goods were burned, their clothes, their food, everything was burned. And a kind gentleman went through the neighborhood making up some clothes and money and getting some food for them. And he went to this one man's house and said, "Uh, Would you like to give something to the Joneses? They've been burned out. Everything's lost. Would you like to give something? He said, Yes, I would. He said, I'll go into the smokehouse. He said, I'll give them some meat. He said, I'll tell you what I'll do. He said, I'll give them a ham. He said, as soon as he said that, the devil spoke to him and said, now, you've messed up. He said, you didn't have to give them a ham. He said, you could have given them a piece of side meat. It have been all right. They'd have been glad to get some fat back. Anything would have been all right. But now you said, you're going to give them a ham. You've messed up. You shouldn't have promised to give a ham. You ought to back out. Don't give them a ham. And the man argued with the devil always the way to the smokehouse. He said, no, I'm going to give him a ham. He said, all right, if you've got to give him a ham, don't give him all those big hams. He said, give him the least ham you got in the smokehouse. Don't give him a big one. And he said, all the way to the smokehouse, the devil argued with him. Don't give a big ham, give a little ham if you got to give one. And he said, finally, out loud, he screamed, devil, if you don't leave me alone, I'm going to give that man every ham in my smokehouse. <laughs> and he said, immediately, Satan was gone. You know... Wouldn't it be a wonderful world if every Christian, the very moment he's impressed to do something, whether it was witness, whether it's write a letter, whether it's a volunteer to work in Sunday school, the nursery, whatever it was, wouldn't it be a wonderful world if immediately they responded? I'll give you for instance. I don't believe we ever come here and say we need three people to work in the nursery. I don't believe we have so many children in the nursery that God doesn't know how many is down there. And he forgot and only spoke to the heart of one lady about working. I think the truth of the matter is he spoke to the exact number of ladies who ought to be in the nursery working. And when Brother Reynolds says, we need some workers in the nursery, your heart says, bang, 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 and, and you look down like you didn't hear him. I saw you do it. <laughs> Just like you didn't even hear him. And you punch a person, like, ah, you know, hoping somebody would volunteer. When you ought to have been the one to volunteer, God was speaking to your heart, but you tried to turn it off. You tried to close the door. Have you ever been in a service and... And the preacher's trying to raise money like the other night, and we had our people give $43,000 for the high school, or, or promise it by faith for September. You ever been in a service and God spoke to your heart about doing, and you said, well, I'm going to wait and see if anybody else does. You know, I want to be careful. I don't want to, I don't want to promise to give too much. And I never believe in putting people under pressure, trying to embarrass them about the matter. I wouldn't be like the fellow was a new member who joined the church, and the men got together, and they were having a building program, and he was trying to raise money. And they knew this fellow was pretty wealthy, and they thought they'd get a big pledge out of him. So they all began to make big pledges. One fellow said, I pledge a thousand dollars. And this businessman, very wealthy, knew that that poor fellow couldn't pay a thousand dollars. Another said, I pledge two thousand. Another said, I pledge three thousand. And the businessman, new member, just had joined, hadn't been there for one week. He thought, I'm wealthy. I, they all know, you know, that I'm pretty well off. they am going to be embarrassed if I don't pledge a large amount. So he went ahead and pledged ten thousand dollars. And uh, the men had it all figured out. They never paid their pledge. They're just trying to pump him for a good one. And he was a scriptural fellow. Everything he did, he quoted a verse for it. He had a verse for everything that happened. Later on, six months later, they was all laughing about it. And they said, listen, did you have a verse to quote for that experience? He said, yes, I was a stranger. And they took me in. obedience. There never would have been a church at Philippi had Paul not been obedient. The Holy Spirit closed the door and said, Don't preach in Asia. If Paul had gone on and preached in Asia, there would have never been a church in Philippi. And then the Holy Spirit spoke to Paul and said, In a vision, the man came and said, Come over to Macedonia and help us. If Paul hadn't been obedient, there would have never been a church at Philippi. If G. Broughton hadn't been faithful when God called him, go down on Lucky Street and build a Baptist tabernacle and there would have been one. If Lynn G. Broughton had to have been faithful when God spoke to him, there wouldn't have been a Georgia Baptist hospital. You see, if they're going to be great works, they have to be somebody who will be obedient whenever God calls. And I'm just saying this, if we could get every Christian here to say, by God's grace, if God speaks to me, I'll obey him. No matter what it is, I'll do it. I'll do it. If he kills me, I'll do it. We would build a great church here. A young man was in my office this week. He wanted me to go to the plan of salvation with him, though he was almost positive that he was saved. I went to the plan of salvation with him. And he sat there in the chair and shook with a Bible in his hand. He sat there in the chair and shook like this. He said, that's real. And he said, that's simple. And And Jesus died for sinners. And when Jesus died on the cross, he paid what everybody owes. Anybody in the world can be saved who knows that and will trust Jesus, he said. He said, if that's true, he said, every man in America, every woman in America ought to be going up and down the streets and telling that story. If men don't know that and they go to hell because they don't know it, he said, I shouldn't be holding down a public job. He said, I ought to be out busy telling everybody that story. And the boy's right. If everybody who knew how to be saved was out telling the story, you could reach this city, this state, and another state. But the truth of the matter is, we're just not obedient. Charles Finney said, Revival simply consists in new obedience. Let me say that again. Revival simply consists in new obedience. You want to have a great revival? I'm not talking about a meeting. I'm talking about a revival where things happen. Get the associate pastors, get the pastor, get the deacons, get the Sunday school teachers, Get the bus workers, get the choir members, get the musicians, get the members of this church to be obedient 100%. And in three weeks' time, there'll be such a revival in Atlanta, Georgia, people will be coming from all over the world to write it up. But you can't have it when two or three do it. You all got to do it. Obedience. R.A. Torrey said he conducted the funeral of a young lady. Teenage girl. He said about a week after the funeral, said the mother came to him and said, Mr. Torrey, I want to tell you something. He said, before my daughter died, she said, before my daughter died, I had the strongest impression to give her the plan of salvation and try to win her to Christ. But she said, I kept putting it off and didn't do it. I had no idea my daughter would take sick and die in a matter of two weeks. If I had known it, she said, I would have witnessed to her. Mr. Torrey said two days later, the Sunday school teacher who taught that girl came to him and said, Mr. Torrey, I want to tell you something. You know that teenage girl's funeral you preached the other day who suddenly took sick and died? Yes. The Sunday before she took sick and died in my Sunday school class, I had the strongest impression to stop her at the door and give her the plan of salvation to make sure she was saved. But she said, I didn't. I didn't know she'd be dead within a week. He said, a young girl in the church came to the... Mr. Torrey, you know that girl who you preached the other day? Yes. Took sick suddenly and died? Yes. yes. She said, just about three days before she took sick, I had the strongest impression to go visit that girl and tell her how to be saved, but I said, I'll do it some other time. And weeping, she said, Mr. Torrey, I'm afraid I'll let her die and go to hell. All right, Tori said, God was trying to get to that girl through three people, through her mother, and her mother was disobedient, through her Sunday school teacher, and her Sunday school teacher was disobedient, and then through a young friend, and the young friend was disobedient, and the girl died and went to hell because God couldn't get to that girl through three people he was trying to get to her through. Did you ever stop to think that when you're burdened about the salvation of someone that God wants you to do something about it? A lady in our church called me this week, and said, Pastor, my neighbor is moving. Or no, she's, uh, she's sick and she's catching a plane to fly away to another state to go to a hospital. She said, I've never witnessed to her. and said, I'm so burdened about her. She said, could you come and give her the plan of salvation before she catches the plane? She catches a plane at noon. This was at maybe 10 o'clock in the morning, only gave two hours. I said, there's no humanly way possible for me to get there because I have someone in the office and some appointments. I said, well, let me tell you something. The fact that you are burdened about her means God wants you to do it. I said, why don't you go next door and just witness to her. She said, well, I haven't witnessed to her. How will I open the conversation? I said, just go next door and tell her that you understand she's fixing to go to the doctor in another state and you'd like to pray with her. I said, before you pray, ask her, could you share some verses and share the plan of salvation? Will you do it? She said, yes, I will. And I gave her some further instructions. A few hours later, she called me back. The tone of her voice had changed. She was so happy, I could tell. She's probably here tonight. She was excited. You know, my neighbor, yes, yes. She said, I did what you said. I went over. She said, You know, she had been saved. She was sure of salvation. She said, but I feel so much better. Now, as she catches the plane to fly away, I know that I've told her how to be saved. God's trying to speak to you. Man in this church got saved. He called me. He said, Pastor, I'm burdened about a man I work with. I wish you'd come go with me to lead him to Christ. I couldn't go that particular time. The man died a few days later. And this man came to me crying. This man came to me crying and shaking just like that. He said, that man died and went to hell. He said, that man died and he went to hell. He said, that man's in hell. That man's in hell there, he said. And he said, it's my fault. He said, I couldn't sleep for thinking about him. But I kept waiting until you could go with me to to witness to him. And you couldn't go. And of course, I felt bad about it. I said, don't wait. When God brought you to witness somebody, I said, you go. When God said, Paul, I don't want you to preach in Asia. And God closed the door. The thing to do is thank God that he did close the door. And then God opened another door and said, come over. And Paul went, the obedience of the servant. The obedience of the servant. I'd say something else about this church. The birth of this church is marked by the operation of the Holy Spirit. All types of people were saved. First of all, there was a very prosperous businesswoman saved, Lydia, a seller of purple. Secondly, in this chapter, you'll see that that a demon-possessed, degraded, sinful girl was saved. Thirdly, you will see that a government official, a civil servant was saved, the jailer. I like that. You know, I rejoice whenever we give an invitation here and I see a little bus kid, we call him, a little bus kid come to get saved. And on this side is a well-dressed businessman and both of them standing before the same cross and both of them the same size in God's sight. And the businessman looks down and weeps and shakes hands with the little kid and the little kid looks up and weeps and shakes hands with the businessman. I rejoice to see that. The ground before the cross makes every man the same size. All kinds of people were saved. And not only that, but notice how the Holy Spirit operated. Lydia's conversion was a quiet conversion. The Bible simply says the Spirit of God opened her heart. It was a very quiet conversion. But the jailer's conversion was a dramatic conversion. Read about the jailer's conversion. And the Bible said at midnight Paul and Silas sang and praises unto God and prayed and an earthquake came and The jail was jarred and the doors were opened. And the jailer sprang in and took a sword and was about to commit suicide. And Paul said, stop, wait a minute, we're all here. Do thyself no harm. And then the jailer said, what must I do to be saved? And what an unusual experience. Paul said, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. And all thy house, and evidently all his house got saved that same night. And the jailer who had beaten Paul until his back was raw, And he was striped and blood was pouring out of his back. And now the jailer went down with bloody Paul to the river. And Paul baptized him. And he came back home and said to his wife, Honey, get some warm water and some soft cloths. I want to to wash this preacher's back. And he washed the blood stripes on Paul's back and Silas' back. And said, Go fry some chicken. Make some thick gravy. Get a jug of buttermilk. And make some hot biscuits. She said, honey, it's late. Oh, I know it. I can't sleep tonight. Man, I'm saved. I've been baptized and I can't go to sleep. Do something. We're going to set up all night tonight. Two o'clock in the morning is frying chicken. You don't find that in in the King James Version. That's in the Greek. Three o'clock, they were sopping gravy. And singing amazing grace, how sweet the sound. What a conversion! But not Lydia. Lydia had a quiet conversion. God just opened her heart. When I first got saved, I thought I wasn't saved. I thought I wasn't saved because I didn't have the same experience somebody else had. Boy, in the old country church where I was raised, when folks got saved, sometimes they got fanatical. I mean, they went wild. when somebody got saved. It's time to get behind something because they was going to take off. I've seen folks get saved and jump up and down like you know, like a jackrabbit, and just holler glory to God. I saw a fella get saved one day and start laughing, just ha 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 ha, 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 ha. and just like that, he just kept getting you know more and more. And in a minute, he was ha 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 loud, and then he had he had sort of punctuated by whoo ha 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 ha. And he went staggering back and forth across the front of the order him, and then he began to jump up and down, like he had springs in his feet, you know. And I said, I'm not saved. Because <laughs> I didn't say, ho, whoo, and I didn't jump up and down and spring like that, I'm not saved. And I used to think, if you didn't have an experience like somebody was, you wouldn't say, "But Lydia was just as much saved as the Philippian jailer was. And the Philippian jailer was just as much saved as the demon-possessed girl was. And notice something else, too. That everyone that was saved and in that church all had the same life. God did not give an inferior life to the demon-possessed girl and a more superior life to this successful businesswoman, Lydia. They both had the same life. If you're saved tonight, you got the same life I've got. We've got the same Jesus, the same salvation. And you know, when people are like that, there's something about it. That when you meet them, you don't meet strangers, you just meet other members of your family. It's a strange thing. I travel nearly all the time now. Nearly every week I go out somewhere. The other day I went to Denver, Colorado. i would never been in Denver. it's the first time I've been out in that part of the country. I flew to Denver. I didn't know a soul in Denver. You'd think I'd, as much of an introvert that I am, I'd get out there and wouldn't know any... You know, I'd be backward and meet a bunch of strangers... I wasn't in Denver two minutes. before I felt like man, I know this fella. You know, I was, I just slapped him on the back and talking to him as if I'd known him for a thousand years. Why? Because he had something in his heart that I had in my heart. I was just I had just met another member of the family. You know, before I was saved, it wasn't like that. Before I was saved, church people was the strangest, oddest group I'd ever seen in my life. And when the preacher came home on Sunday to have dinner with us. I'd always make my way out to the backyard as far as i get away from the preacher. I don't want to be around him. And they talked about things, I thought, so dull and uninteresting. And go to church and hear him sing Amazing Grace. Go to sleep. How firm a foundation. Go to sleep. You know, after I got saved... Something happened to me. Something happened to me. Because those people that had been so dull, all of a sudden became exciting people. And they'd start talking, and I'd just get all excited. And I'd want to hear it. And I'd want to gather close to them. And those old songs they used to sing, it put me to sleep. All of a sudden, I found myself singing out with them. Amazing grace. How firm a foundation. There's just something about it. And here was a successful businesswoman. And here was a demon-possessed girl. And here was a civil servant. Singing the old-time religion. Makes me love everybody. The operation of the Spirit. You see, when you get the servants to be obedient, you can depend on the Spirit to operate. I'm going to tell you something. You know it or not. But we may as well close our doors tonight and go out of business. Unless we're going to recognize that we are absolutely dependent upon the Holy Spirit in every service we hold. I mean, even when we receive an offering, we're absolutely dependent on the Holy Spirit to work in the hearts of the people. When we buy buses, I don't care what we do, the Holy Spirit and the final analysis has to work. And if the Holy Spirit works in the hearts of the people, you'll have a successful service. And if he doesn't, you may as well close your doors. I don't care how good a speaker you are, I don't care how well your sermon's prepared and how good illustrations you have, if the Holy Spirit and the final analysis does not work in the hearts of the people. You don't have anything. You don't have anything. Jack Howells told this story. Jack Hiles said he used to preach a sermon on the, on the prodigal son. And he said to make the story come more alive, he said he would name the son. I don't remember the exact names he gave them, but let's say he called one Bob and, and one little Bill. And he said that night he got up to preach in this revival meeting, <clears throat> and he just couldn't get started good, and <clears throat> was having a hard time, and said so he got down to the two sons about the one that was left. The one that left was supposed to be Bob, and the one that stayed home was supposed to be Little Bill. And he said he was preaching all, and he said, him, and Little Bill left home and went to the far country. And said so it dawned on him he had give Bob Little Bill's name. And he said, well, the only thing to do is to is go ahead with a sermon. Just, I'll just give... Little Bill, Bob's name. I'll leave Bob at home and let little Bill be the prodigal tonight. And I'll just preach it that way. He said he preached the whole sermon. He said he felt like he made the biggest mess he'd ever made. He said it was in a sophisticated church where the pastor said we don't want any weeping and and, and carrying on at the front and people come forward. Dr. Howell said he doing the best he could. He said he stammered along and He'd almost forgotten and call the prodigal Bob, but he'd <clears throat> he change his mind and say, Little Bill, he said, Little Bill. And finally he got through the sermon. He said when he bowed his head to pray, he said he was thinking of one thing, I want to help him get out of here, and the sooner the better. I've made the biggest mess I've ever made in all my life. He said he bowed his head and had a brief prayer and gave an invitation. He said, A boy got up the back of the building and started down the aisle. He said the deacons were sitting on the front pew he said, when this boy got just about right to the front, said he just fell down at the front of the church and began to weep and pray. And said, he started to look up to the pastor and say, that's not my fault now. And said, by the time he started looking at the pastor, he said, he heard another big thud on the floor and looked right and said, the chairman of the board of deacons had jumped off and fell on the floor. And then all the deacons were down the floor praying and crying. And He said, he started to tell the pastor, I'm sorry. And said, the pastor hopped off the platform and fell on the floor and started <laughs> praying and crying. And he said, then folks would come, come from all the building and knelt to receive Christ as Savior and prayed. Dr. Howell said he didn't know what had happened. You know, he felt like I made the biggest mess I've ever made in all my life. I just ruined things. I've ruined everything. He didn't know what had happened, but folks were getting saved, and he was thanking God for that. He said, when the service was over, everybody was rejoicing. Now they were going home, said so a lady came up to him and said, how did you know that? He said, what? How did you know the chairman of the Board of Deacons' son left home a couple of years ago and they haven't seen him in two years? He said, his name's Little Bill. So they called him Little Bill. How did you know Little Bill had slipped in back at the building and sat down in the back of the church when you were preaching? How did you know he was Little Bill? Been gone two years. When you gave the invitation, look, Jack said, let's go back in. I want to rejoice a while. You know what happened? God did that. God did that. I gave a soul winning lecture in the basement of this old building over here one night. There was only a handful of men in the room. I gave a soul winning lecture, and I always take just a name, just somebody's name, like tonight I took Mr. Smith. But that, night, that night I took a first name and a last name. I don't forgot what it was, Matt, exactly. I wish I'd remembered. But all during the lecture, I'd call, I just say Bill Smith for the sake of illustration. All during the lecture, I'd say, uh, Now, Mr. Mr. Smith, Bill Smith, would you so-and-so? Uh, do you know you're a sinner, Mr. Bill Smith? And I went through the whole soul-winning lecture like that. I noticed one fellow's face was as white as snow all the time I was lecturing. Went through the whole plan of salvation lecture. And I walked up to this fellow and went through the prayer, showed people how to lead people to Christ. And not knowing, I was talking to a man named Bill Smith who was a sinner that had been brought there by one of our men. And in the class, I led him to the Lord, calling his name Bill Smith, and didn't know who I was talking to, till the service was over. And when I got through, he said, who told you that I was here tonight and wasn't saved, and who told you my name? And I said, nobody. Is your name Bill Smith? He said, yeah, and then my face turned white. (laughs) I didn't believe it. The obedience of the servant and the... Operation of the Spirit of God. You know, I feel like the old colored fella. you know. He said, you got to have unction. You got to have unction. You just can't get along without unction. And somebody said, what is unction? He said, I don't know what it is, but I know when I ain't got it. <coughs> now, I know one thing, you may as well close your doors if you don't have it. You've got to have that. The operation of the Holy Spirit. I've seen it happen over and over. I've told this story here, but I'll tell it again. Late one night, late. When we'd first begin to get visitors' cards and have people fill out visitors' cards. And I had somebody fill out a visitors' card. I didn't know what to do with them, but we had visitors' cards. So I decided maybe you ought to visit them. So one night in the old basement building over on Alcove Drive, at the, I mean, at the end of Decatur Street, in the basement building, I went in one night and picked up some of these visitors' cards. And it was 9 o'clock at night. I went to go into the visitors' cards. And I got to talking to myself. And I said, self, it's late. And you shouldn't visit anybody this late. They'll think you're crazy. I went through a stack of visitor's cards about like that. And finally, I pulled out one visitor's card with a man and woman's name on it. One visitor's card. It just, I don't know, somebody just pulled it out. And the date that they had visited had been several weeks previous. But I looked at the card. And somehow, someone said, go make that visit. I didn't hear an audible voice. I didn't see any lights. But in my heart, something was just pulling me, seeming to make that visit. So I made a deal with the Lord. I said, I'll go make this visit. And when I pull up in front of this house, if the lights are on, I'll stop. If the lights are off, I'll go by. But I'll go. And I went. And it was not eight blocks from where this church is located at, in this direction, eight blocks. I went down the street to the bottom of the hill, on the left-hand side I saw the number and the porch light was on and a rented truck was backed up to the front porch, believe me. And I thought to myself, well you dirty bum, you waited till the people started to move before you came to visit, but I would promised God I'd make the visit anyway, so I got out. I asked for the man of the house, he came, and I said, Sir, I'm the pastor of Forest Hills Baptist Church. and..." You visited our church a few weeks back. I'm sorry I hadn't been to see you. Would you forgive me for waiting so long to come to see you? He said, yes, sure I will. I said, looks like I waited until you moved, but I'd still want to visit with you a few minutes. He said, oh, we're not moving. He said, I'm moving. He said, I'm leaving my wife. I'm packing my things now. Then I knew why that card seemed to stick to my fingers. I said, before you leave, could I talk with you? He said, yes. We went in the back room. I gave the man the plan of salvation. He accepted Christ as his Savior. I said, would you go ask your wife to step in? He said, yes, sir, I will. His wife stepped into the room. I said, your husband just received Christ as Savior. Of course, she thought it was some kind of a thing, you know, where he's just trying to get her to do something he wanted her to do. She wasn't too enthusiastic about it. I said, may I share with you what I shared to your husband? He said, yes. She said, yes. And sitting on the side of a bed with that man and his wife, I shared with her the plan of salvation, and she received Christ as her Savior. And that back bedroom, while his mother and father and his folks were still loading his furniture on the truck out front, and when she received Christ as Savior, then she believed that he had received Christ as Savior. And she got up and hugged his neck and squeezed him and cried and cried. And I stood there and cried and cried. I. I, I let him hug and cry and hug and cry and hug and cry. So uh, I said, uh, what are you going to do? He said, I'm going to unload my furniture today. I said, can I help you? He said, yeah. Must have been 10.30 by now. We went back in the living room, and it looked like two armies. Here was her mother and daddy and her brothers and sisters. And here was his mother and daddy and his brothers and sisters over here, and a big space between them. And her mother and daddy and brothers and sisters were seeing he wasn't taking anything out that belonged to her. And his mother and dad and brother and sister were sitting. he got everything that belonged to him and they were all watching, that belonged, nope, don't take that, that vase, ain't Sue gave that to her, and, yeah, yeah, you know, this sort of a thing. And I brought him back out, so help me. And the man told his family what had happened to him and the girl told her family what had happened to her. And I said, now I want you all to go in one group and we closed the gap and I told the whole group what I had told the man and his wife in the back room and I don't remember the exact number. But at least seven or eight people were saved out of that entire group that night. We had a revival meeting on the front porch. And I helped him drag the furniture off that truck. And I was shouting under my breath. I, you know, I wanted to shout so bad. I just said, mm. <laughs> They thought I was grunting because the refrigerator was heavy. But I'd, I'd pick up something heavy and say, mm. <clears throat> But that wasn't it. If I'd done what I wanted to, I'd have run up and down that street and yelled and screamed, glory to God. I'd have called the neighbor, look what's happened over here. I'd have still been rejoiced. You know what did that? Holy Spirit did that. You say, you just sort of psychic. No, you're psychic. I didn't know what it was. I'm just saying I got burdened. And when, you, when the servant is obedient, there's always the operation of the Holy Spirit. I could go on all night about that. One more thing. Not only was this church the birth of this church marked by an obedient servant and the operation of the holy spirit but it was marked also by the opposition of society what do you think happened man lydia got saved the woman possessed with devils got saved you think everybody in town say hallelujah thank you for listening to the classic sermons podcast from preach the a ministry of north valley baptist church in santa clara california to listen to many more powerful sermons, visit our website, PreachTheBible.org. If you enjoy Christian music and programming, visit KNVBC.com for Christian music you can trust.